We are so thrilled to be partnering with Hinge. Hinge is the dating app designed to be deleted. As you all know, I'm a huge Hinge advocate as I met my partner of almost three years on the app. Even before meeting him, Hinge was always my go-to app because I met more relationship-minded people here and had some great dates. Clearly, I haven't been on the app for a little while, but I re-downloaded it to check out some of the new features. One that stood out to me was the voice prompt, my best friend's take on why you should date me, where your friend can hype you up. Not only does this make the profile creation less daunting, but it's not always easy to see your own green flags. So to test it out, I asked UA some fun prompts to get her take on what I could put if I was dating again. So the first one, how long have we known each other? What was your first impression of me and how has that changed? Julie and I have known each other for almost 10 years. My first impression of Julie was that she's very social, but I've learned that she has a lot more depth to her beyond the social butterfly that she is. My next prompt, what do you think are my green flags? I would say she's deeply loyal. She believes in love, curious mindset, and she is fearlessly ambitious. And then last but not least, what kind of friend am I? Julie is the kind of friend who will always have your back, no matter what. Damn, that feels nice to hear. So download Hinge and try voice prompts today. Then find someone worth deleting the app for. I love wine, but sometimes it can get really expensive, which is why I'm so excited that today's episode is brought to you by Last Bottle Wines. If you don't know, they're a Napa-based online wine shop with a twist. They offer just one hand-picked wine per day until it sells out, which is often an hour's. So new day, new wine, always at incredible prices. We're talking 30 to 70% off retail. And the best part is that there's no subscriptions, no fees, and no minimum purchase. Just a daily email with a really great wine. They're offering Datable listeners 10% off your first order with code Datable. And now is such a great time to join as their marathon sale is coming up on March 28th and 29th. They flip that one day rule on its head and offer back to back deals, which means that wines are only up on the site for a couple minutes at a time and shipping is 100% free. They send us a mini marathon package of some of their favorites and let me tell you, they were delicious. Sign up at lastbottlewines.com and use the code datable and find out why Last Bottle is the most fun way to discover and buy amazing wine. Hey, we want to meet you. Would you like to meet us too? The correct answer is yes. So we're having a joint happy hour with our friends at 941 Social Club on Thursday, June 22nd. It's actually more of a bar crawl in the marina that will start at 7 p.m. The Datable team, along with some past guests, will be at the Palm House starting at 9 p.m. And the best part is you're going to get free drinks. Find out how by checking out our Facebook page, under Dateable Podcast. Hope to see you then. The Dateable Podcast is hosted by me, I'm Yue, a former dating coach in New York turned active dater in San Francisco. On each episode, you'll hear commentary by my producer, Julie Kraftchik, and other surprise co-hosts. This episode of Dateable is brought to you by 500 Brunches. 500 Brunches connects like-minded people with similar interests to meet in real life over brunch. You answer a quick questionnaire about your interests and how you spend your time, and then they'll match you in small groups of six to eight at a brunch spot in San Francisco. Get a free entry into a brunch now by signing up at 500brunches.com and using the code DATEABLE. 
everyone. Welcome to another episode of Dateable, a show that opens up a candid conversation about dating in San Francisco. Before I introduce our guest today, I just want to read a little excerpt from her article from almost a year ago. The article is called "Why You Cannot Find the One." Hunting for a single person to be your one, the ballerina, the poet, the bank account, and the parent is all too much pressure for someone you don't know yet. The one is created over time by slowly undressing who they are, not what they should be. And those were the wise words of Heidi Ezern. How are you? I'm good. Thank thanks, you. Thanks for being、Yay. with us.、Uh, a few stats about her: She's been in San Francisco for 12 years. Where are you from?、Originally? Montana. Montana. Okay. It's a big job. A little bit different dating <laughs> out there. Is there such thing as dating, or do you just get married? <laughs> Now, Heidi,、uh, your article that came out, we have it for March 11th, 2016. When your article came out, a guy friend of mine had forwarded it to me because this guy friend and I particularly talk about this quite a bit. He's in his late thirties. He's very successful, and he just cannot find the one. And every girl that he becomes interested in can't show that sort of hunger of wanting to be with him. So he forwarded me your article, and immediately I saved it. I forwarded it on. I screenshotted it, especially. That quote, because I was going through a time where I was dating two really great people, and for some reason there was just not that next level of connection, and I couldn't understand why. And I was very distraught in this time in my life. So it was very timely to get your article. Let's start with just that article. What else did you say in this article? We can summarize for readers at home if they haven't read it yet.、Uh, well, it just talks about, especially dating in San Francisco, how there's. All these people out there, and there's an illusion of choice from just the urban social bar scene and all the parties, and then the proliferation of dating apps, right? So you always think there's all these things out there, and you're always seeking for more. It's like you're trading up everything in your life: your job, your apartment, your significant other. You're always looking for the next bigger, better deal. Want to know when you wrote this article in March? What were you going through personally? I was dating. But it was not in a defined status.、Uh-huh. But I act. My impetus for writing it was actually I had come back into the country. I'd been traveling, and I went to some San Francisco socialite singles mixer. <laughs> and、uh, I, I wasn't really looking, but I thought, well, you know, since my relationship isn't defined, you know, we'll see what else is out there. Very classic San Francisco, and I just watched people. And I watched all these people checking each other out, and then I watched this woman that I wrote about,、yeah. and how she interacted and what she said to me. And she's like, you know, what are you looking for? And I'm like, I have no idea. Like cheese and wine. And she just <laughs> listed off this litany of everything that she wanted, like every single thing. And I was like, good luck, because yeah, <laughs> I don't think anyone here. In this room meets anything. I don't think anyone in San Francisco meets everything that you have on your list, and that is not the right way to go to a singles mixer. Is with a list in your mind, and then trying to do this matching game of, oh, does he have this? What really spoke to me about your article was、um, in it. You talk about how 
we're always looking for what other people can provide for us, but then we forget the reverse. What can we provide for other people? Dating has become such a selfish circus act in a way, right? Everything's about me. I'm at the center of this world. These people should be pleasing me. They should be showing me their interest. But why have we become so selfish when it comes to dating? I think it's a lot to do with ego, right? Which is a lot of bread. It's why we have a lot of very successful entrepreneurs in Silicon Valley in San Francisco, right? Really marching this idea forward. And I do think there's a lot of entitlement of, well, I am this. So if I am this, this is the bar. Someone else you know, must be this much better or be able to provide me all of these things because I'm worthy. And I don't think people just relax and just spend time just getting to know someone and enjoying their company, mm. right? It's more about, are they going to you know, make a higher salary than me, especially women? Are they taller than me? Are they yes. cuter than me? You know, all these different things that they're looking in comparison to who they are, as opposed to just, do they make me laugh? Right. Do we have fun together? Are they good adventure buddy? All these different types of things. And it's funny, I had a guy actually write me today um, and he was actually talking about the different kind of expectations of men and women. And he obviously was defending the male contingent. <laughs> he said, you know, men have learned how to date, you know, 20 years younger, 20 years higher. They also have learned to date very wealthy and very poor. Women, for whatever reason, will only date within a very narrow age range and they will only date men that are taller than them and have more money than them. Mm. He said women, now that we have more economic power, need to actually start expanding as well and learning to date just as wide a range um, of candidates. That's sort of the conflict of gender roles, it right? Yeah. And it, it, comes, it becomes more amplified with age. I have so many girlfriends who are successful and they're beautiful and they work on their um, professional careers just as much as they work on their personal lives. And the more they build their personal value, they, they feel like they need someone who is more valuable than they are, right? So they kind of feel like they should be pickier. Their standards should be higher. What is wrong with that school of thought? Well, how do you define value? Mm. <laughs> great, great question. Great I mean, question. What, someone's not valuable because they don't have a certain amount in their 401k. Mm -hmm. And I think, and I have, actually dated some very wealthy men and uh, I can tell you there are things that are a lot more valuable um, you know than what they can provide you monetarily mm -hmm. what they can provide you emotionally or their sense of humor or other different types of things and I think if you stopped thinking about it so in such a siloed limited format I think people would be a lot happier in some respect I do think women are at fault for this because what we're perpetuating with all of our girlfriends is you're so awesome. You're such a badass. You deserve a guy who should be like this and like that. That guy's not good enough for you. He only he's only an accountant. He only does this. He didn't go he didn't go to an Ivy League school. He's not as tall as you. We perpetuate this. We probably but do. Something we don't emphasize is what you've said is that emotional benefit that we get from someone. What I say to a lot of my clients is, how does this person make you feel? If you were to make a list of traits that you look for in the perfect person. Take away all the um, physical traits, take away all the superficial traits. How should that person make you feel? Well, I think that sh person should make me feel safe. They should make me feel sexy. They should make me feel feminine. They should make me feel loved, you know? So I think it's that we're, we're forgetting the emotional side, but we're also perpetuating right. this.
Well, I also think it comes down to need. Like, what do you really need? If you are financially secure and you have a great life and you have all these friends, then someone else should just be the cherry on top of your life, right? You shouldn't be needing them to fulfill some big gap. So I think you can look at it. What, what else would make my life just a little bit better? And maybe it is having someone to talk to every night. You know, if you start thinking about it that way, it probably changes what people go out there looking for. Now, here's a big question for you. Is that settling? <laughs> well, what is settling? <laughs> oh, if I'm just looking for someone to talk to every night, am I settling? Settling. So there was um, a book written a few years ago. I think it was Lori Gottlieb who talked about marry him now, right? I and mean, how you should settle. And she made a huge case for settling. Like, if he has halitosis, look past it. And you look past <laughs> this because you're going to end up like me and you're going to be having a baby on your own when you're 42. And it was kind of like, you know, everything's so, so dire. Um, I don't know. It's just like, how do you need someone else to complete you or you complete yourself? And if you complete yourself, nothing else is settling. It's just making your life better. And what's wrong with settling? Why is there such a negative connotation to that? I don't understand what it means. I still don't understand what it means. Like, I guess it goes to some sense of entitlement of what you deserve and you're now taking something that's less than you deserve. And I guess that whole construct to me is very confusing. Well, that's it. It's that feeling of entitlement. We've talked about this concept of the reacher and the settler in a relationship. Right. There's always a reacher, there's always a settler. But I think what we're forgetting is that dynamic changes throughout a relationship. At first, you may be the reacher, and then in the middle, you may become the settler. I think we need to f focus on that relationships are dynamic and that if you feel like you're settling, it doesn't mean that it's forever. It's that you are at a point where you're settling for this person and then eventually you become a reacher. Well, hopefully you never feel like you're settling. I, I guess I wrote today something about how dating's like a dance and there's always someone taking a step forward and someone taking a step back. And for someone to take a step forward, you have to take a step back. So there's any time you think you're chasing or you're giving too much, you know, just stop, allow some space. Once you allow that space, then desire starts to build up and the other person, you know, wants to come forward. I guess I'd like to think of it that more as opposed to I'm settling, I actually don't want to be with this person or I'm trying too hard to obtain this person. There's such a huge spectrum. I, I feel like some people are on one end where they're like, I don't want to settle. This person's too nice to me. They like me too much. I don't want to settle for them. And then there's the opposite side of the spectrum where someone's a chaser, yeah. always a chaser. I need this person to like me. Why doesn't this person like yeah. me? Why hasn't he texted me back? Why, why hasn't she called me back? Comments on that. Well, that's adrenaline, right? That's a conquest. That's like actually just wanting to obtain and wanting the challenge. And I have actually a very good friend that is, that is somewhat like that. She is a very <laughs> successful entrepreneur and she likes challenge. And she thinks she can just strong arm some man mm. into falling in love with her. And love doesn't really work that way. You can't force someone to love you. And if you really care about them or love them, you just want them to exist. Like you're just happy that you know them and for some different types of interchanges. So I think all of that, that adrenaline and that drama, it has a lot more to do with addiction and wanting to have a conquest than it does with actually enjoying the person or caring about the person. I have a theory that if you're the chaser, you're constantly looking for validation, you're not ready for a relationship. I you're think still, that's a good point. <laughs> you're still on adrenaline high. Yeah. You think you do and you yeah. think you want it, but you don't really want it. I do you want to bring it back to your most recent article, the follow-up, the oh, sequel yeah. to the first article, Why You Cannot Find the One, part two. The things people think are important on paper, 
height income, or in my case, ability to ski black diamonds, have nothing to do with someone's ability to be a good partner. If you have to make a list, it should include things like arguing well, making you feel special, spiritual growth, etc. But these things are not obvious on the one date wonders swiped from Tinder and Bumble. You actually have to spend time with someone to let these qualities come to surface. What instigated this follow-up article? I had been receiving so many letters and emails from people that were kind of asking me, why can I still find the one? Or this is my situation, what do you think? Or I'm trying to do all these things. And I just kind of started seeing all these patterns, um, you know, in list making and people thinking they wanted a relationship, but they just wanted the chase. Yes. Or um, of people really needy. And, you know, one friend, you know, is, is actually a man and he wanted a relationship so incredibly badly. It was his singular focus. And again, he was now, you know, trying to strong arm these women into being his girlfriend and just devastated when nothing worked over and over and over but he wasn't trying to give them a chance to get to know them as a human being. He was just seeing them as just a container of a relationship. It didn't matter actually who they were. I think in one of your articles, you talked about like how you're not really ready until you've kind of come to one with yourself and like have that self-love. It sounds so cheesy and it's so cliche. Oh, you must love yourself first before you <laughs> love someone else. And it's like, ugh, don't want to hear that again. But I do think it's true. I think it's true to kind of have a full life um, a really good friend of mine, um, she is married now, but for a while she was dating and relationships weren't working and she was just like, you know what, I'm done. Like, I have a good life, I have my friends, this mm -hmm. is how it's going to be. And she had this epiphany like in yoga class where in Shavasana <laughs> she was just imagining her own singled life and she's like, it's not that bad. And she went out there, she's like, you know, it's not, if this is it, like, it's not that bad. It's okay. It's better than, you know, all this drama. I'm die. <laughs> yeah. I'm not going to, yeah, it's, it's, it's like wow. Oh, oh, okay. I can do this, right? And sure enough, like a few months later, we went out, just girls night, you know, rainy, torturous, you know, damp San Francisco evening, wearing turtleneck sweaters at a bar, and we ended up meeting what, who happened to be her future husband. Right. Of and course. It's so nice. It's always that get, story. Like, dolled up, nothing. Yeah. And then when yeah. you're like rubbed out it's like but we definitely were not looking right not we actually were like should we want to talk to these guys i don't know and and sure enough you know a relationship developed but she wasn't needy there was no drama she wasn't trying to like force him to some type of status or some timeline um you know and she 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 met him when she was 39. how do you think age plays into this do you think there is in san francisco where we're in this bubble is there a pressure not just for women but for men as well to, oh, absolutely. Well, definitely for women. I think men too, but I think, you know, we're all leading our independent lives and we're having fun and we're going to Burning Man and we're going to parties on top of the Fairmont and everything's great. And then like 34, 35 hits and we're like, oh, shit, wait, whoa, whoa. Like I have a biological clock and it's actually very real and I have to do all of these things before I hit 40 um, and I better start now. So something hits and it's panic. And then it is this mad rush to lock someone down as quickly as possible. And I think that's when everything breaks down because people feel like they're being, again, forced into something that is kind of contrived and it's not about them anymore. Mm. It's about a timeline. Did you feel that way? I probably felt that way a little bit, yeah. Mm. Yeah. Did you? When you turned I 30? Yeah, I mean, it's definitely like that pivotal moment that you're just like, what am I doing? Like, yeah, 
I definitely think there's an age and time pressure. Yeah. I think you need to feel it and then like get to the other end of it. Right? Yeah. Like let it, embrace it, go through it, be needy. I feel like I'm a little out of it now, but like I yeah. was in it and I agree. I feel like in my 20s, I went through this entire stage of, I don't need to be in a relationship. I don't need a man. I don't need to get married. And all of a sudden feeling like, you know what? I might want to be in a relationship. Yeah. Yes. I yeah. did the same it's thing. It's so strange to go from like, independent woman, I don't need anybody, and to not so much I need someone to complete me, but that yearning. Yeah. It's, a, it's a strange feeling. So you had a quote that was, youth, you have time and lack depth. And as you age, you have depth, but less time. I thought mm. that was really interesting and exactly what we're saying. Because when you're 20, you're like party, 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 hookups, whatever. And then you get to the age and that's when there's this like clock ticking and time pressure. Yeah. But the thing is, you get a lot more interesting as you get older. Totally. I mean, women especially, you know, you're yeah. more confident. You know yeah, who you too. are. You Everyone, have stories. Yeah. Um, and I think... I think women are fabulous. I look back at myself, you know, when I was in my mid-20s and I was incredibly insecure. Yep. I yes. can't believe men wanted to date me. The issue with dating when you're a very fascinating woman <laughs> is that it's hard to find yeah. other people who are just as fascinating as you, <laughs> right? As you accumulate more life experiences, you look for those commonalities in your partner and it's harder to find those commonalities. That's true, and that I guess goes back to settling, like what is settling? And um, as my friend that I mentioned that, that met her husband when she was 39 after deciding she was gonna be a solo yogi on her mat, um, one of her things on her list mm -hmm. was that he had to be as well-traveled as her. The man she ended up marrying didn't even have a passport. Really? Now, they travel a ton together because she got over it because he was curious about travel, and now they've been all over the world. So I just think everyone has to have an open mind, and these things that you think are so important yeah. in someone's past actually have nothing to do with how good a partner they are. could not agree more, because I think now I don't value this as much, but when I was like in my late 20s, one of my values was someone that would go out with me and my friends all the time. Yeah. And like that just also shows I wasn't ready for a relationship because I was yeah. looking just to party and do that all the time. When you're like in your 40s, 50s, 60s, does that matter? No. <laughs> it, I don't think it matters because it's that couch test or the Sunday test. Can you just sit on a couch with someone I think and so. hang out with them? Mm -hmm. That's the ultimate test. That is the test. And it's funny, my parents are very happily married. They just celebrated their 40th wedding anniversary. Yay. And they're the type, when I bring them to San Francisco, they will make out in a bar. Wow. And I have to drag them out. Yes, they are, they are that <laughs> couple. They are my parents. It's embarrassing, of course, but it's also kind of awesome to know that, oh, that can still happen, you know, mm -hmm. when you're in your mid-60s. And I asked my dad once, I'm like, you know, how does it work? Like, obviously, you and mom fight, and I see that, but you still really love each other, and you're really affectionate. Like, how did this all happen, or how is it sustainable? And my dad just says, well, you just got to really like doing a lot of nothing with someone. Because as you get older, honey, trust me, you spend a lot of time together and you're generally doing nothing. <laughs> so it's just kind of that test of do you enjoy doing just nothing? Just hanging out. Just hanging out, making each other laugh. To bring this full circle to your article in March, um, why you can't find the one, I, I think the other element that's missing in dating is that commitment. What does commitment mean? My parents have been married for 30, 37 years. I would say for the, you know, like the middle part of their marriage, they were not happy, but mm. they committed to each they other. Committed to each other, yeah. And now yeah. they're the most in love I've yeah. ever seen. They're so happy awesome. and retired together. 
And it's, it's that commitment to someone for better or for worse. But in your article, you talk about how, you know, the right one could be a swipe away. You never know that someone better could be lurking out there. And that's kind of the environment we face today with dating. Yeah, that's, that's a very good point. And, you know, there's different schools of thought out there, and I don't really know which one is right or wrong. Some people think you have multiple ones throughout your life. Someone in your 20s, someone in your 30s, someone in your 40s, and you kind of swap them out, and that's okay because you're a different person, and thus you need different types of people. And then the other school of thought, probably our parents' school of thought, is you want someone to like weave an entire quilt of life together. And every experience is a thread, and you need more and more and more of those threads, and you actually don't know where it's going until the end, and then you have something really beautiful. So you have, the be you have you know, these great threads, and then you have some really ugly threads, right, sometimes, but you need them all because that's what makes a long-term relationship. And at the end, you get to enjoy the benefit of all of that. Yeah, that's true. But it's a, harder, it's a harder path. And also, just what are your metrics for success, right? Some people say, well, my friend met her husband here and blah, 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 and now they're super successful. Then you think, is that success? Is marriage the ultimate success? Or success is measured at the end of your life, when you look back at your relationship and say, that was very successful. Because we don't know. Anything could happen in the course of a relationship. Well, anything can happen. And I think it's just important to enjoy the moment that you're in as well because there's also people that have had a lot of success and been really happy for a certain period of time and then something very tragic happens right, right. at the end. So that means it was a failure and none of that mattered or none of that counted. I don't think that's fair either. Mm -mm. There's all these different segments of life and we have such a linear viewpoint of things happening. Everything has to be sequential and building. And I, I think life's a lot more chaotic. Oh, much yeah, more ups and downs, right? Yeah. So back to why you can't <laughs> find the one. What are our takeaways from that? One is I took away that we're not giving people enough time. We kind of just, you know, give them, it's like speed dating. Every day is like speed dating. We're not giving them enough time and we write people off very easily. And I think to go along with that is because we have these preconceived notions of what our perfect mate should be. And it's normally based on things that have nothing to do with being a good partner. You know, it's like, you know, do they read The New Yorker? You know, are they 6'2"? Mine was always, the, can he ski as good as me? <laughs> you know, there's all these very artificial yep. type of attributes. I think it, maybe it makes us feel safer. Yep. That, oh, well, I have standards. So I think there's that. And then the illusion of there's all these other people out there. So if someone doesn't meet, you know, X, Y, Z, I'm going to stop it here and go out and find someone else. Or it's an excuse of why you're single, right? Well, or I'm single that. because... I haven't found the one who's 6'2 and can right. ski like an Olympic yeah, champ. I struggle with that though, because I still, when I hear that, I still just feel like that person's not ready. You are ready and you meet that person, like that stuff goes out the window. It totally does, but you have to give that person a chance. I totally yes. agree. And we hear those stories, you know, all the time of, oh, he wasn't at all what I thought I, you know, wanted, but that person has to be open-minded to meeting other people and giving them time. Because I think a lot of the really good things don't come up until you really get to know someone. Totally. And it's like, wow, he was really awesome when I was going through a career change. Yep. Yeah, I think FaceTime. I think that's why people date their coworkers or their neighbors. Yep. Yeah, it's Or easier. someone who's in the same hiking club. Because yeah. the more you see them, you see multiple dimensions of who that person is. Yeah. It does, It. that's why I don't, that whole like, you know, having a first date without ever meeting or, or you know, just hard. through like a few messages and then meeting them and then writing them off in the first 10 minutes. It doesn't work like that. Well, that's part of the critique of online dating that it's kind of unnatural. 
It's unnatural. Well, it forces a timeline, right? First date means this. Second date means this. Yeah. Third date means this. And they're all sequential. And of course, you're both dating other people. <laughs> so there could be a lot of space in between these dates. And you feel like, well, by date five, like we need to have the define the relationship talk. And mm -hmm. it just puts a lot of pressure maybe when it, you don't really know each other that well. Right. And if, yeah, you oh. were, it was your colleague, totally different. And there would be no timeline or no pressure. You would just be hanging out. I think because of online dating, you feel like, oh, well, we matched based on these superficial values. Yeah. We must be a good match. Right. I forwarded yeah. Julie this article that New York Times just came out with, the five most important questions you should ask before you get married. And one of them was, when you were growing up, how did your parents handle oh, anger? I saw you that know? article. Did you see that? I read that article, yeah. And I actually really liked it because these are issues that I feel like people yep. don't talk about anymore. So I agree with you, but I don't know if I would limit it just to online dating. Mm. I think it's just our generation as a whole. Yeah, I maybe. Yeah. And why is that? Is it because we're afraid of finding the answer? I think so. Because so, like, once you find that person, yeah, it's so like, hard. It's so hard. I don't want to know. Yeah. I'm just going to close my eyes. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, yeah just let it. Yeah. Halitosis, who cares? <laughs> exactly. Let's give our listeners at home three pieces of advice about, let's say they're they're single, they're dating, and they're kind of feeling that dating fatigue right now? Well, if you're feeling dating fatigue, take a break and do something really awesome and really fun and get excited about it. Um, you know, book a safari, book a <laughs> ski trip, <laughs> um, you know, take up a new class. Like, don't just say, you know what, I'm going to give myself a break for a full month. And don't pick up an app. Don't accept any dates. If you meet people, just take some time off for you. And I think you'll find it really fulfilling and really rewarding. Just Push to have that break. Push a refresh button, right? I think so, yeah. Well, I think when you're trying so desperately to capture something or have something, the more elusive it becomes and the further away it is. So just stop. And I think once you're ready to start up again, I think start prioritizing what's really important. My yeah. friend actually did have me make a list at one point, and it wasn't the list in terms of height, but it was like in different types of categories of, you know, emotional support or social or financial, all these things. And then you had to start ranking them and then crossing things out. And you end up only getting to like three things that are the most important, right? Yeah. Which is actually really helpful because you think all these things are important, but when you have to start deleting things from your list, um, you start to realize, wow, maybe the emotional humor side is a lot more important than the financial or physical side. Because ideally we will want everything, Of right? course we do, <laughs> unless we keep growing. <laughs> but it's all relative. Yeah. And that should probably tell you what's the most important. And I think you'll find it really fascinating. Where do you want to go with your writing right now? I feel like it's definitely relevant to your life. Yeah. Where do you want to go with it? Are you looking to get people talking about dating and relationships more? What, what's your purpose here? I definitely want to get people talking about it more. And, you know, I write about relationships not just in dating but in business too. I think that people go about business sometimes incorrectly and transactionally and also very selfishly. So I wrote one piece called Open Up, Close More Deals and I've spoken on that a few times as well. And it's all about building an emotional relationship with your clients, so in business development. Mm. And I just think there's a need for that in this world right now of spending time getting to know people, whether it's your friend, whether it's someone you're dating, whether it's a business associate or, you know, or even your own colleagues. It's no one seems to make time not at all. For one another. Um, so I definitely want to do more with that. So probably more writing, probably more speaking. I'll probably 
put together a book as well. Um, I haven't decided how dating focused it would be versus how business focused it will be, but I think there's a lot of parallels between the two. Um, just trying to move people from more of a transactional view yeah. to a more emotional, compassionate view. If people <laughs> want to read your articles or find out more about you, where can they go? Well, I write on Medium, um, but I normally cross po post on my website as well, which is HeidiEzern.com. So that's H-E-I-D-I-I-S-E-R-N.com. When's your next article coming up? Next Wednesday, Hump Day Heidi. <laughs> Hashtag Hump Day Heidi. <laughs> All right, listeners at home, if you have some stories of your own or if you just want to ask Heidi some questions, you can write in to us and we can forward you know, those questions on to Heidi. If you have stories of your own, we'd love to have you as a guest on our show. With that said, last but not least, stay, stay dateable. Your action item for this week is to make a list of how you would like your ideal partner to make you feel. For example, I would like my ideal partner to make me feel safe, loved, respected, and sexy. Okay, now it's your turn. Hey, we want to meet you. Would you like to meet us too? The correct answer is yes. So we're having a joint happy hour with our friends at 941 Social Club on Thursday, June 22nd. It's actually more of a bar crawl in the marina that will start at 7 p.m. The Dateable team, along with some past guests, will be at the Palm House starting at 9 p.m. And the best part is, you're going to get free drinks. Find out how by checking out our Facebook page under Dateable Podcast. Hope to see you then. To connect with us, visit datablepodcast.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, all under Dateable Podcast. Mm -hmm.